Today, we're going to read two short nuggets of wisdom out of Proverbs chapter 16, continuing our wisdom series in here on Sunday mornings. And these mention two incredibly important virtues for us to acquire in our lives, humility and patience. So let's get right after it, starting with humility. This is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride, the opposite of humility, goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. The sin of human pride is so insidious, if we had specialized glasses so we could see it in our lives for what it actually is, we would never stop throwing up. We just wouldn't. It's that hideous, okay, in our lives. There are several reasons why it's such an awful thing. First of all, it's a space hog. I read this amazing quote, and I'll put it up on the screen for you. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. This is so true. There is so much goodness God wants to deposit in all of our lives. He wants to deposit joy and strength and relationships and and further knowledge of him. All these blessings he wants to put in our lives. But pride prevents that because we're so full of ourselves, there's not room for the things of heaven. I want to introduce you to two kind of fun Greek words here that will help you remember a great truth out of the scripture. Pleurosis and kenosis. Pleurosis is this ancient Greek word that means filling, okay? Kenosis means the exact opposite. It means emptying. And all throughout the Bible, you see that oftentimes filling or fulfillment comes through the process of emptying. And that's certainly true when we're talking about pride. When we are emptied of the insidiousness of our own human pride, it's only then that we can be filled with the things of heaven, Fulfillment comes through emptying. Pleurosis comes through kenosis. The second reason that pride is so hideous has to do with intimacy. Pride just kills our intimacy with God. It keeps us at a distance from him. Now, God never leaves us or forsakes us. He promises that. But it's relationally it causes a little distance. Look at this verb, I mean this proverb. Actually, it's a psalm out of Psalm 138. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though the lofty, he sees them from afar. So the proud, he sees from afar. This is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. God doesn't want it to be this way. He doesn't want to know the proud from afar. But our silly self-sufficiency straight arms him and keeps him at a distance from us relationally. It creates a barrier. Thirdly, pride prevents reconciliation. Oftentimes in this life, if you're like me, you hurt people's feelings or people hurt your feelings and your relationships are, enter into this kind of broken stage. And in order to repair those relationships, in order for reconciliation to take place, forgiveness has to happen, but pride prevents that from happening. Here's another quote, and by the way, you readers, I told you, Frederick Beekner. if you've not read his books, get every single one of them, you can get your grubby little mitts on and read it. He's an absolute genius, and he says this regarding pride. The pride that keeps us from forgiving is the same pride which keeps us from accepting forgiveness, and that is so true. If we operate in pride, We will never, ever ask for forgiveness because we think that's somehow lower than us. And if we operate in pride, we will never accept forgiveness because that means we have to admit that we did something wrong and we can't do that. So pride keeps forgiveness from happening and broken relationships pile up behind us like roadkill on a country road, okay? That's what happens. 
These are just a few of the things that make pride so insidious, but let's move on to the second part of this. What causes pride? There are two activities that I know of that foster pride in us and foster pride in me faster than anything I know. And the first is self-absorption. If you are never caring about others, thinking about others, serving others, loving others, if your personal universe is so small there's only room for one, then pride is going to fester in your life. It's going to spread in your life like a virus. Another quote from C.S. Lewis of Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe fame. He says, to be humble is not to think less of yourself. It's to think less of, it's to think of yourself less. That is so true. And so the opposite's true too. If humility is thinking of yourself less, pride is thinking of yourself more. It's being completely self-absorbed. Second thing that fosters pride in us is comparison. Right now in the world, there seems to be this giant human competition extravaganza going on. We seem to have this insane need to compare ourselves to other people in order to feel worthy of taking up a space on this planet. That is not working very well for us. There's a tattoo a girl had. She beat me to it. I would have loved to have had this tattoo. It said, comparison is the thief of joy. What a great truth. What a great tattoo too, by the way. But comparison is the thief of joy. And that's so true because when you compare yourself to another person, one, it either leaves you feeling like a total loser, a total scum-sucking, bottom-dwelling sea cow because the person you're comparing yourself to seems so far above you that you'll never feel like you can measure up. Or you'll compare yourself to someone and feel like, oh my goodness, I'm so much better than them. They're actually a lower life form than me. In either one of those scenarios, there is no joy available. So the tattoo is right. Joy is not available when we're comparing ourselves. Comparison is the thief of joy. And by the way, that person that you think is better than you, they are not. Everybody has their own quirks and flaws and failures and shortcomings. Remember the childhood book, Everybody Poops? Well, that's true, right? Everybody has their issues in life. All right, and if you knew that person better, you wouldn't place them on such a high pedestal. And that person that you think you're better than, yeah, you're not. You're not, okay? Because everybody has their gifts and talents and abilities. Everybody is created in the very image of God and carries around inside of them the very presence of God. And if you knew them better, you wouldn't think of themselves of them as a lower life form. In fact, they've probably had to overcome so many incredible obstacles to get where they're at in life. If you knew them well enough, you'd be tempted to ask for their autograph, not to think of them as a lower life form. So this brings us to our next question. What's so great about humility? If pride's so insidious, what's so great about humility? There are so many things, and I'm only going to list a few because we'd be here all day. First of all, the humble get to bless people. You've probably noticed this when you're in a gathering of, uh, you know, a numerous amount of people, a large amount of people. A proud person will burst into a room like a giant sucking tornado or vortex and draw all the attention to themselves as if to say, look at me, look at me. I'm what's important in this room. I'm where the action is. A humble person won't burst into a room. A humble person will enter a room. Sometimes you won't even notice they're there at first. And they won't turn the spotlight on themselves. They'll turn it on to others. They won't say, look at me. They'll say, look at you. You're where the action is. So a humble person is able to notice other people and to listen to people and to bless people. That's what makes humility so great. And secondly, the humble people have good relationships. 
I've noticed this in marriage, but it's true in all relationships. The best marriages are where each partner thinks they're getting the better end of the deal, where they look at their spouse and go, oh, I'm sorry, you got screwed in this little endeavor, okay? And I got the, I got the bigger stick on this one. Oh, my gosh, I got the better end of the deal. Those are the best marriages. Those are the best relationships and even friendships. Humble people treasure their relationships because deep down, they feel lucky and privileged to even have them. So humble people have great relationships, and humble people have great intimacy with God. Look at Isaiah, a great prophet in the Old Testament, and he says this, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but where else does he live? I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So God lives with the lowly and humble. Yeah, there's an intimacy that humble people experience with God. And why do they experience it? Because they're humble enough to know they need God and ask for his help in life. That's why. There's so many other reasons why we should strive for humility. These are just a few. But know this. It's the humble who love. It's the humble who serve. It's the humble who care. It's the humble who stay with you when everybody else leaves. It's the humble who change people's lives. It's the humble who change the world. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are the humble. Now the last question regarding humility How do we get humble? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought, I know humility is a great virtue to go after, but how do I get it? There are so many ways, okay? I'm just going to list a few again just to help you out because this is a great place to start. Number one, get older. (laughs) Aging humbles you. Some of you young people don't get it. I didn't get it when I was in my 20s and 30s. Aging humbles you because some parts get sore. Other parts sag, okay? Gravity takes its toll. Other parts just stop working altogether. It is so humbling to age, especially in our society that looks upon youth as the ultimate thing, okay? I remember Anne Lamott in one of her books, one of her granddaughters came up to her and said, Grandma, can I take a shower with you if I promise not to laugh? (laughs) Oh, that's why aging is humbling, okay? So just get old. That'll, That'll humble you. Number two, Notice other humble people. My wife and I were having um, dinner with our neighbor, and she's a nurse at one of the local hospitals in the ICU department, and she was talking about this humble doctor, which those two words don't go together that often, but this really humble doctor she really admires. And they were in the ICU, and there was one patient that um, wasn't going to make it. And the doctors there that were present at the time had called it. They weren't going to try to help him anymore. He was on his last few breaths. And she instantly went, okay. We called it, we coded it, and I've got work to do. And she went on to get really busy and do other assignments. She had a lot of things to do, a very busy unit. And then she turned around, and this doctor she admires, one of her friends actually, came into the guy's room, an elderly gentleman, sat down on the bed and held his hand and stroked his arm so he wouldn't have to die alone. When you witness people operating in that kind of compassion and that kind of humility, it humbles you. In fact, our friend looked at us and said, she's a better human than I am. And she was half kidding and half not. That'll humble you. Number three, a good way to get humble, try to understand the theory of relativity. I actually asked Matt to explain it to me once. 
I still don't get it. If I go fast enough, time slows down. I just don't get that. that I, my brain actually can't wrap itself around that. I know it to be true because smart people tell me it's true, but it's humbling to realize I don't get that and I never will get that, okay? Number four, another great way to get humble, go outside. I've done this several times this year, so I'm speaking from experience. Go outside and find the biggest tree you can and go up to it. People are going to think you're tree hugging, and you kind of are, okay? But go up to it, put your hands on it, and stare up at it. Like, look from the base up. It will humble you, first of all, because you realize, I am small. I am small. This tree is so big. They look way bigger when you're looking straight up them. I'm telling you. Go do it. Wouldn't this be a cool thing if all you did that? Eugene would go, what's going on at that church? We all went to the trees around us and did that. But seriously, it makes you feel so small. And then it dawns on you, this tree was here for hundreds of years before I was born, and it'll be here barring some you know, natural disaster. It'll be here for hundreds of years after I'm gone. It's incredibly humbling. Nature, not just trees, but nature in general, humbles us. And last way, and this is the best way, think about God. If you really think you're hot stuff and you're struggling with pride and you're just saying, Tim, I know I shouldn't be proud, but it's too hard because I am just so, wow, I'm it, okay? Read Genesis 1 where God is hovering over the tohu vavohu. He's hovering over the chaos that existed before there was creation, and then he spoke creation into existence. If you think you're hot stuff, try to speak something into existence someday. Like if I wanted french fries... French fries. It's never happened. I've tried it all by myself several times. I've tried really hard, you know, like trying to bend a spoon. I've tried, and I can't even get close. I mean, I can't even make my hand feel warm, all right? So those are just a few of the ways. When you understand the vastness and the mystery and the goodness that is God, oh my goodness, that will humble you quickly. These are just a few of the ways to get humble. There are more, but rest assured, when you ask God to humble you, He will answer that prayer with alarming efficiency. Trust me on that one, all right? Let's move on to patience. Proverbs chapter 16, 32. This is where the big Lebowski comes in. Oh, you're going to like this. Better a patient person than a warrior. What? So better a patient person than one, and one with self-control, than one who takes a city. This proverb is about patience. And to be honest with you, I was going to say, I'm not a very patient person, but in complete honesty, I can't even use the word very. I am not a patient person, okay? I try so hard to be patient, but it's so hard because there are so many people and so many things that make me feel impatient. I made a list, just four, my top four, and these are my top four things that make me just cringe and feel so impatient inside. Number one is slow drivers. That's that's on many of your lists. If you're a slow driver... Please hear me, okay? I'm not asking you to speed. I'm not. I would never ask you to break the law. I'm just asking you to go the speed limit, okay? And if you can't do that, it's okay. But for all that is good and holy in this world, call an Uber, okay? Because at least they'll go the speed limit, all right? Number two, people who ask questions in the drive-thru, just just stop that, okay? When I'm going through the drive-thru, it's because I want to pick up something fast because I'm on my way to go somewhere or do something. And when you pull up in front of me and you go up to the thing and then you go, uh, give me a minute, 
oh, I just want to ram your car, okay? The drive through there's this unwritten rule. It's for people that already know what they want to order, okay? If you don't know what you want to order, get off your hind end and go inside the restaurant and dawdle all you want inside of there, okay? Just don't block the drive through I'm feeling impatient already, okay? <laughs> Number three, aisle blockers in the grocery store. Again, an unwritten rule. You know there's two lanes in every grocery aisle? It's just like a road. When you drive down the middle and you put your cart there and you go to look at something over here and 20 of us can't get through on either direction, it makes me want to ram your cart. I did once. <laughs> Not my best day. Okay. Again, I'm just saying, just put your cart to the side and stand by it so we can get around you. And number four, cling wrap. I cannot work that stuff, okay? I get it out and it never sticks to what I want it to stick to and it makes me so, it drives me crazy and I usually end up just using reams of tinfoil instead. It's hard to be patient, okay, because there's so many tedious things and people in the world. Yet this proverb places a high value on the virtue of patience. It says, it's better to be a patient person than to be a warrior. That's so counterintuitive. That's so countercultural to our current thinking. Game of Thrones is wildly popular right now because it's about warriors, not because it's about a race of super patient people. Nobody would watch that show. There's no heroes named after patience. There's no Alexander the Patient or Joan of Patience or anything like that, okay? But according to this verse, there should be because patience is that important. It's absolutely heroic. Patience doesn't seem very sexy, but when I studied it in preparation for this message, I realized it's absolutely critical. Here's a few reasons why. Patient people experience far less regret. Patient people have an ability to have less regret in their life because of the second part of the verse we read that says patient people can control their temper. So instead of lashing out of others in a fit of impatience and frustration and saying something or doing something that fills them with regret, they're able to sidestep that little awkward situation. You know those times when you, when you go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. As the words are coming out of your mouth, you're going, this is not going to go well. Um, when you do something, you go, I wish I wouldn't have done that, or I wish I wouldn't have posted this on social media. Patience allows you to not do those things so you're not filled with regret. I remember a pastor friend of mine, I played golf with him, and I'm not a patient person. He's even less patient than me, and I love him because of that. He makes me feel better about myself which I shouldn't because I shouldn't compare myself with others. But anyway, he's a great guy and a great preacher. But one time he was talking about he was with his wife. They were watching their son in middle school play a football game. And Tom and Debbie will probably remember this. They remember him. And he was coaching up his son. He wasn't the coach, but he's one of those very active parents participating in the sports and kind of coaching them from the sideline and totally into it. And his wife came up partway during the game and said, hey, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? And he goes, I, I don't even have time to think about that and just kind of shoot her away. She came up a few minutes later. He goes, seriously, honey, where do you want to go for dinner after the game? Because I, I need to make reservations. And he put his hand out, you know, talk to the hand kind of things, and he just said two words, go away. That's what he said to his wife, to which she replied, happy anniversary. It was their anniversary. <laughs> That's what she was making plans for. And I, there you go, okay? Patience gives you 
enough time to actually engage your brain before you respond, all right? Second of all, patience helps you love. There's a very famous chapter in the Bible called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and in it, it gives the ingredients, a list of ingredients that make up this thing we call love, and it mentions this first, love is patient. Just like when you buy something in the store like jelly, the ingredient that there's the most of in that product will be listed first, which in most jellies is, you know, sugar, all right, or maybe fruit. When you're listing the ingredients that make up love, the thing it requires the most of is patience. That's why I think it's mentioned first by the Apostle Paul. Right off the bat, he says, love is patient. Every parent in the world knows this. When you have kids, you love your kids more than life itself, more than yourself. But loving those tiny human beings requires not a natural amount of patience, a supernatural amount of patience. When I was growing up, I was learning to golf. I wasn't very good yet, but I was learning to golf. But I didn't like to practice outside in the rain, so I practiced in our family room. And it had kind of indoor-outdoor carpet, you know, that kind of multi-purpose carpet. And I remember practicing with my iron, my three iron, <laughs> and I'm just taking swings in there. I'm all by myself. I'm not endangering anybody. But I, I, I duffed a swing. I just dipped down a little too far. And I took a divot out of my parents' carpet. A full-on divot. You know what a divot is? Just a scoop of earth. Well, I took a scoop of carpet. And then in my brilliant middle school mind, I go, oh, no problem. I can fix that. So I got some Elmer's glue and some thumbtacks. And I tacked it down. I go, nailed it. They'll never know. Well, of course they knew, okay? And I thought all through life I'm doing this to my parents. I broke so many things. I could fill this room with things I've broken in my life because I was just a boy and I just you break stuff when you're a boy. Couches, furniture, beds, doors, you name it, windows, constantly, okay? My parents needed so much patience to love me. And if you don't believe it, because maybe you don't have kids, that's fine, okay? Think of the times when you're going to grow out with a, like a group of 10 people, and then somebody asks, where should we eat? How long does that usually take people to figure out? A group of one takes you about 30 seconds. A group of 10 takes you about 35 minutes to figure out where we're going to go out to eat, and you usually end up going to the restaurant that's in view of you right then. Love requires patience, okay? That's true. Third thing that patience gives us is awareness. All great spiritual teachers throughout history and all different faith traditions always have said one form or another of this, be in the now, be present in your life, be in your life, be in the now. And for good reason, because the past is oftentimes where regret lies, and the future is oftentimes, unfortunately, where fear and anxiety dwell. But the present, that's where life is, and that's where God meets us. God doesn't want us to always be thinking, well, what's next in my life? He wants us to be thinking about what's now, what's going on right now. Patient people live this out. They're far more grounded and present. They don't rush past the current moment in their life and miss the magic of the now. But instead, they're present and available to the people around them, and they're present and aware of God around them too. There's this great section of Scripture in Genesis where a guy named Jacob has this wrestling match with this supernatural being. 
I kind of like to check out the video when I get to heaven on this. And he's wrestling, and all of a sudden this being gets tired of wrestling, touches his hip, and suddenly Jacob loses the wrestling match because he has to walk with a limp. Afterwards, after the wrestling match is over, he names that place Peniel, which means the face of God. Because after the wrestling was over, he recognized that the being he was wrestling with was God himself. Why did he suddenly recognize the presence of God that was with him? I believe it had to do with the fact he was walking with a limp. Because Jacob was always rushing to what was next in his life. And now he's walking with a limp. And he was forced to go slow enough through his life to be aware of what was actually going on around him. Including being aware of the God who had been with him all along. This is why I believe the Bible is filled. Look in your concordance sometime. It's filled with words like wait and remain and stay and abide. It's like the whole Bible is an invitation from God to slow down and be present in your life. In the late 1990s, there's a movie called The Big Lebowski. Don't want to recommend it to you for a couple reasons, okay? But The Big Lebowski is about a guy called Jeff the dude Lebowski, this hippie kind of guy. And he is the picture of patience. In fact, he goes through all these things, and when asked to describe himself, he simply uses this phrase about himself, talking in third person. The dude abides. That's what he says. The dude abides. Maybe that's why this movie became such a big cult hit, because the dude had something all of us crave and want so much in our life. He had patience in spades. He had just gobs of patience. And in fact, you can get on dudism.com. It's a, it's a website for people who like the movie The Big Lebowski. You can actually get ordained, I'm not kidding you, legally ordained as a dudist priest, okay? And you can read all about their beliefs in the book of Deuteronomy, Oh my gosh, okay, and you can become a part of Dudism, which they say is the slowest growing religion in the world, man. <laughs> so fun. Well, Galatians 5 tells us that patience that the dude had so much of is actually a fruit of the Spirit. So it's not something we conjure up, it's something that God deposits in our life. He plants it in our lives, and then he nurtures and cultivates it so it grows bigger and bigger, which is so encouraging and also very scary, okay? Because to cultivate patience in us, this is what God will do. He will deliberately put you in circumstances that require patience. See, you thought we could end today by praying for patience, and we will, but when you pray for patience, you aren't just magically transported to this place where you become a patient person. Cool, I prayed for patience. Got it. Check. Now I'm a patient person. That's not what happens. You pray for patience and God will go, great, I'll get you there. I'll get you there by putting you in circumstances that require you to be a patient human being because that's how patience expands. It expands under pressure. So we're going to pray today and get ready this next week to get behind glacially slow drivers. Get ready to hit every red light on your way to work. Get ready for tedious work assignments. Get ready to have to go to the DMV. Get ready to deal with Comcast because I'm telling you the truth, Comcast is God's favorite tool to bring patience into our lives. Great, you're going to come and fix my modem? When? Sometime in July. That's so helpful. Okay, you know, that kind of thing. It's totally worth the frustration, though. Remember that. 
when you're going 20 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. It's worth it because patient people, according to the verse we just read, are the heroes in life. They're the heroes. See, they're cheering for patient people in the kids' room right now. Let's pray, can we?